Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Jesus went away from there, and he goes to his hometown, and his disciples follow him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given him? The miracle, such things being done by his hand. This is the carpenter, isn't it? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters are here with us, aren't they? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he proceeded to go around the villages teaching. And he calls the twelve and began to send them out with a commission two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits And he charged them to take nothing for the journey, nothing except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in the belt, but to wear sandals, not an extra undergarment. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that area. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people repent Now, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you were resisted in your hometown. Your own disciples doubted you. When the religious leaders rejected you and falsely accused you, no one stood up for you. Even God the Father turned away as you bore our sinful rejection. Yet by your resurrection, you showed us once for all that though resisted, God's almighty word works. Stay with us, Jesus. Send us your spirit and turn us whenever we resist you. Lend us your resolve whenever we are rejected as your witnesses. Keep us looking for the day when we see you seated in the highest place so that every knee should bow and tongue confess that you are the Lord. For you live and you reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Disciples of Jesus follow an almighty word who can be resisted. About a year ago, I was visiting with a woman in my neighborhood. Her name was, well, for the sake of the story, I'll call her Julie. Julie asked me what I did for work. I told her I was a pastor. She said that she was looking for a church and might come for a visit. A few days later, I got an email from Julie. She asked a pointed question. 
Are lesbians openly accepted at your church? She explained, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, and I don't want to be uncomfortable myself or have things be confusing when my son announces, I have two mommies. I hope this isn't too odd a question. I have thick skin, so feel free to be blunt. As soon as I read her question, I thought it would be better to answer face-to-face, not over an email. I started to reply back, and I asked if we could meet somewhere to talk, but as I was writing, I thought to myself, she's not going to want to meet with me if I don't even acknowledge her question. And if I avoid her question, she'll know right away that we're one of those churches, you know, the love the sinner, hate the sin churches. Now, when we say it, we want it to be heard like this, love the sinner and hate the sin but I think it might be heard like this. Love the sinner and hate the sin. So I didn't want to avoid her question. And I didn't want to answer over email. Most of all, I didn't want to miss an opportunity to speak the gospel to her. So I wrote to her. I'd like to hear some of your story to better understand where you're coming from. So you know where I'm coming from. I'll share a bit of our church's story. And just in case this gets lost in the details, I'll tell you right up front that the main point of this story is that everyone is welcome in the name of Jesus at our church. Then I told her that the people of our church, we come from a variety of backgrounds. We have a variety of opinions on many issues. The one person who unites us is this Middle Eastern construction worker named Jesus. He was publicly crucified and buried by the Roman Empire, yet days later he was seen alive by over 500 eyewitnesses. For over 60 generations now, his followers have been claiming that God raised him from the dead, making him the king of the Jews and the Lord of all people. I wrote to Julie, 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 Jesus has become this, the center of our, of a new story that we share. We believe that he is the hope of the world. We welcome everybody to come and meet him because he welcomes everybody. He promised whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. John 6, 37. Well, maybe I should have stopped there and hit send. I was on a roll. I, I kept typing. Jesus wants to give life to everyone, I wrote to her. To get us there, he speaks some hard truth to everyone. Jew, Gentile, gay, straight, crooked, short, skinny, rich, poor, greedy, generous, intelligent, ignorant, American, Albanian, everyone. To rescue us, Jesus gives us some of the bad news first. It's sort of like a cancer doctor giving a bleak diagnosis to a patient. Telling someone, without treatment you will certainly die, sounds harsh, but in the end the doctor wants to save, not to harm. So Jesus tells us that all people are trapped in darkness. Light has come into the world, he said, and people love darkness rather than the light, John 3, 19. He tells us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. I continued writing, Our church is a group of people who have accepted Jesus' diagnosis over us. Like a cancer patient submitting to a treatment plan, we are learning to entrust our lives to him. Finally, I wrapped up what was getting to be a rather long reply. I hope we can find a time to visit soon. She replied back 10 minutes later and said that she was busy and did not suggest a date in the future that we might be able to meet. I followed up a couple of weeks later and she politely declined my offer to meet. This story reminds me that I follow an all-powerful word who can be resisted. 
This truth is seen in Mark's gospel when Jesus goes to his hometown. Jesus is the all-powerful word of God in person. He, he calms the storm with a word, Mark 4, 41. Everything listens to him, but not everyone. We follow an all-powerful word who can be resisted and rejected. When Jesus goes home to Nazareth, they question him. They're offended by him. His word does not yet have an all-powerful saving effect on them. We follow an all-powerful word who can be resisted. Do you feel the tension in that truth? Now, in other relationships, we can resolve this tension. For example, when I was growing up, my dad seemed to me all-powerful, He could do anything. He could change a flat tire, build a patio in our backyard, open the pickle jar when no one else could. Then I saw my dad get sick. I saw him get hurt and make mistakes. His all-powerful image in my mind deflated. There didn't need to be a tension with him. He's only human. Sometimes we misjudge people and have unreasonable, godlike expectations of them. Other times, we prejudge them. Take John, for example. John was the organist in my congregation for 60 years. I first got to know him long after he had retired, but people still talked about how great of a musician he was. I had assumed that he was a full-time musician unconsciously. I limited my expectations of him. I figured that he only had experience in being a church organist. I simplified him in my mind. I prejudged him. But as I got to know him, I learned that he had been a part-time organist. His full-time job was a a manager, as a manager, and later as a top regional salesman of a large company. He was also a skilled home repairsman and remodeled his home over the course of 50 years that he lived there. And and when I saw the photograph-like pencil drawings that he had done, I realized that he was also a gifted artist as well. I prejudged John. There was so much more to him than I realized. Those examples, my dad and Mr. John, they help me appreciate this tension with Jesus. Because in a similar way, we tend to either misjudge Jesus or we prejudge him. Why is that? Because he's fully God and fully man. He is the all-powerful word who can be resisted. If you're new to being around this Jesus guy, that might sound strange. If he can be resisted, then he's not all-powerful. And if he's all-powerful, then he can't be resisted. It doesn't make sense, I know. If you've been following Jesus for a while, you probably know this truth in your head, at least. But if you're like me, you have trouble letting it sink into your heart. To help it sink in, let's talk about what happens if if we misjudge Jesus. In other words, what happens if we let go of of half of that tension? It would sound like this. We follow an all-powerful word who cannot be resisted. Some Christians along the way have believed that God is simply irresistible. They teach that God, even before time began, sorted everybody out. There were some he decided to irresistibly save by grace so that he could show his mercy, and there were others He decided to damn to hell forever so that he could show his justice. There are some Bible passages that could be interpreted to support this teaching, Romans 9, 20, and following, for example. My church body is one that says that this interpretation does not represent the whole teaching of the Bible. If someone says, 
God's almighty word cannot be resisted, we would say, you're misjudging the mystery of how God works in Jesus. Now, there's a time and a place to more fully engage the teachings of other Christians, but this isn't it. So, shifting gears, let's talk about how we can accept this truth. How we can accept this truth on paper, yet in practice deny it. Deny that we follow an all-powerful word who can be resisted. You see, even if our doctrine's all straight, we can deny this truth in our behavior. We can misjudge Jesus by thinking, for example, that if we're failing in our mission to make disciples for him, then that must be his will for us. Imagine a church that acts as though it believes. If we're losing members and people are resistant to our message, then we must be faithful. On Sundays, they gather to share an all-powerful word, and they figure that if the all-powerful word wants to bring new people, then that's what he will do. It's his job, not ours. Now, that's the truth, but not the whole truth. This all-powerful word can be resisted. And too often, the problem is not those people out there. The problem is God's people in here. Remember, Jesus was resisted in his hometown. He was rejected by good religious people who gathered to hear God's word. So, how are we, God's people, resisting him today? For example, the Bible challenges all of us. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Galatians 6.10 How many ways do you and I resist this almighty word of God? How many ways does your church resist? resist it? How many more people would be drawn to the word if you and I truly followed this word and pursued more and more and more opportunities to do good for our neighbors? The Bible spends comparatively few words on the problem of them out there. The problem God goes back to again and again is his own people. They are resisting his word. Later in the gospel of Mark, Jesus asks his disciples, do you have your hearts hardened? They do. Even his own disciples will reject him in the end. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he sticks with them and with us. In spite of our resistance, in spite of our rejection, he laid down his life for them. He he laid down his life for us. And this is why we follow the word. The word who was resisted and rejected, crucified and risen as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 32. We follow because he sticks with us. But sometimes we let go of the other half of the tension. When we see people reject Jesus, when we look at how effective we are at resisting him, we can lose sight of the truth that, that he is the all-powerful word. Sometimes we are the cause of other people resisting him. Sometimes it's not him they're resisting, it's us. They don't come to the word because, maybe because we're a bunch of jerks. We're inhospitable. We make people uncomfortable with our lack of social graces. Or maybe they they resist us because we're stuck in the past or just plain dull. So we say, we need a better strategy Let's train on some soft skills, do some market research, implement best practices. 
I often think about that email exchange with Julie, the woman who asked our church if we would accept that her son has two mommies. I think about that email and I second guess myself. Did I say the right thing? Did I just say too much? Now, don't, under, don't misunderstand me. It's not that I want to change the Bible's teaching that sex is God's gift to be received within marriage between one man and one woman for life. Now, I don't want to change the teaching, but, but I think about how I answered her. Maybe I drove her away. Maybe I said too much. Maybe I just should have been more patient, more tactful. God, let me not forget that even though people resist you, even though we are so effective at resisting you, help me remember that your word is all-powerful. Sometimes we prejudge Jesus when we declare that our efforts have failed. Sometimes failure is a part of God's plan. Now, this is not the same thing as saying, well, if we're failing, we must be doing something right. When someone resists Jesus or the culture at large resists him, you and I should always be asking, are they rejecting Jesus or are they rejecting our poor representation of him? There is always room for me to repent, for you to repent, always need for his forgiveness, always room to grow. Yet sometimes the failure of the word is part of God's greater plan. This is how the Father worked in the life of Jesus. From every human perspective, Jesus' crucifixion meant the total failure of his mission. It meant a complete rejection of everything he worked for, everything he stood for, and this This is where God did his best work. Why do we think strategy can save us from this? Why am I so afraid of failure? Why are you so afraid? Are we following Jesus or are we chasing success? What if God were to lovingly deny us success in all our efforts to advance his kingdom? What if he were for a time to hide our eyes from the countless ways that he's working through the resistance to his almighty word? What if we see no success, but only Jesus? He'd be enough. Recently, I emailed Julie again. I asked if we could meet. I told her I I just wanted to hear her story. I wanted to understand where she was coming from. She lives in my neighborhood, after all. I thought, maybe Jesus is going to open up a door for me to connect with her. Ten minutes later, after I sent the message, she replied, No thanks. The sting of a misjudged, prejudged moment. I give all this to Jesus. I can't handle this kind of rejection. He can. He can.